Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It is 134 in Edmonton. Bob Stoffer at Rogers Place. The Edmonton Oil Kings just taking the ice right now. Big showdown on the Western Hockey League. Friday in Edmonton, the Oil Kings and the Winnipeg Ice. The Ice are in Red Deer tonight. Winnipeg's undefeated on the season. They've uh, lit some teams up. They've got two players that will be going in the first round of the NHL draft this year, Matthew Savoy and Connor uh, Geeky. Uh, is that right? I got the right Geeky there? I think so. Uh, anyhow, of course, the Edmonton Oil Kings last year had two f- first-round picks. Uh, Dylan Gunther, taken ninth overall, got moved to center this past week because Jake Neighbors, first-rounder the year before, St. Louis is still up with the Blues. And Canada's likely starter for the upcoming World Juniors, which will be here at Rogers Place, Sebastian Cosa. We'll be talking more draft stuff in about 39 seconds. Royal Pizza, Pizza Pass, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for over 50 years. For a menu and a list of their 14 Edmonton and area locations, go online at royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. The staffer recommendation at uh, Royal Pizza is the Mediterranean chicken. As we go to our Oilers Now headliner today for Wilhock Beef Jerky, it just might be the best you've ever tasted. Search for Wilhock, W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. We welcome back to the show uh, longtime media pundit, uh, did some work for a number of years with CBC, uh, Bruce Dobigan, who's uh, co-authored a book with his son. It's called Inexact Science, and it, it relates to the um, National Hockey League draft, the six most compelling draft years in NHL history. Again, it's written by Evan and Bruce Dobigan, and Bruce joins us right now. Bruce, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Yeah, it was kind of fun to do something with my son. I've done nine or I guess eight or nine other books all on my own, and then uh, finally have my son come of age. And he works at TSN, uh, and he's in the in the stats department. He runs their their uh, uh, sports center uh, uh, Twitter feed and things like that. And yep. he's a real rain man. So it was for me and him to work together as a project. That was a lot of fun. Well, I think as you know, I mean that's kind of where I got my start. 30 years ago or so, I mean, I, I did the Golden Bears in the late 80s with John Sexman, whose son now plays for Red Deer, uh, but, uh, and John's a sports reporter here in town for Global, but John had got me hooked up with Larry Isaac and Molestar in the mid-1990s, and that really started the genesis for me, for my career, watching other broadcasters, and also when he, watching the sales end of it, and how you could... Uh, you know, enhance broadcasts and bring in revenue, and 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 so I've always kind of felt the the stat. I did grab font court and stats for a number of years for visiting NHL feeds, uh, all the way back to when ESPN was doing games in the, in the mid to late 1990s. So we we that, that's very interesting on your son Evan, Bruce. Let's get to it. Uh, and I haven't agreed with everything you've written over the years. I know you had you wrote the book on Mike Gillis, right? Uh, yeah. Well, on his tenure as the GM of the of the Canucks. Yep. Yeah, that was an interesting storm. What, what did you call it again? It was called Ice Storm. Yeah, I, I think in perspective, we can still say it was the greatest Vancouver Canuck team ever. The, those three or four years where they were at their peak and they won the President's Cup. And so it was kind of fun to sit in the, in the, in the back seat and watch what was happening and then, and then write about it. Yeah, and there's there are a lot of – I mean, he still has a lot of people out there that think that, you know – 
they're surprised he hasn't gotten that second opportunity to be a, a general a manager again in the NHL. In exact science, the six most compelling draft years in NHL history. That's the name of the book. Now, did you just specifically talk about uh, the six years, or are there's, or, or do you go through a wide, like every like draft class? How did you end up deciding to do that? Well, each chapter is about one of the years that we chose, the six years that we chose. And obviously, we had to go through a whole thing about throwing some years out, like 2003, which was a great draft. In many cases, uh, it might have been the greatest draft ever, but for various reasons, we didn't go with it. We went with 2005 for Sid. So in each of those chapters, we talk about what made those those years specific. And they were kind of unicorn years because, you know, we look at the draft year after year. There seems to be a formula for what you do. You get up to the top. You draft this way or draft that way. Uh, But as Oilers fans know better than anybody, the the drafts that really mattered were ones that were kind of unicorns where different things happened. And in particular, of course, the 79 draft where nothing happened because Wayne Gretzky wasn't drafted, but the rest of the team was. Uh, Just a fascinating year that way. So in the context of all of those years, we, we talk about other situations and other draft years, but we've chosen these six just because we think they're the most interesting to look at in perspective, and what can we learn from them? All right, let's start with, you've, you've listed the 1971 draft year, uh, and I grew up, Guy Lafleur was my idol as a kid, and Lafleur and Marcel Dion went 1-2. Uh, By the way, Connor yep. Bedard that plays for Regina, a five foot seven and a half, five foot eight right shot center, highly skilled uh watching him play last year at the u18 he reminded me of marcel dion that 71 draft was important and you can educate our listeners why but it had something to do with the maneuvering of the montreal Canadiens. well i think it was the year in which people accepted the amateur draft uh they hadn't really had an amateur draft until 1970 the first year they had a really serious one where everybody got together about it that was zilbert perot's year but that was the year where it was Lafleur and Dion. We'd heard about them going for three or four years before coming in. The anticipation was high. And, and I think the, the lesson of the 1971 draft is that Sammy Pollock showed the NHL how to run a scouting system, how to, how to value draft picks, how to, do it at, how to do it right. And, of course, he walked away from that draft uh, with, with Lafleur, but he also, of course, he got uh, Larry Robinson in the second round. And I think that the, the takeaway is that he taught everybody you couldn't take the draft lightly. You couldn't trade away draft picks on a whim just because you needed a veteran center to play 30 games or whatever. Uh, so that that's the significance of it. And of course, the two players are, are, are fantastic guys. Marcel, <laughs> the, the night before the draft, Sammy Pollock went to Detroit and offered, I think, three players to get the second pick so he could have Dion as well. It did work out that way and Dion's career as great as he was hall of famer the number etc never won that's that's the thing that hangs over his head whereas he of course the top player in the nhl and his teams won year after year after year well and uh for the listeners that are unaware uh pollock didn't just get the pick from the California Golden Seals that ultimately ended up being the pick that got Keela Fleur, but he had to do some maneuvering to make sure that uh, Minnesota, <laughs> as I recall correctly, uh, Minnesota and L.A. didn't end up getting that number one pick instead, right? Yeah, well, it was L.A. in particular, and he sent Ralph Baxter. And Ralph Baxter was a really good NHL player at the time, and people thought that uh, that uh, what he was doing is making the Kings better so that the, the Oakland Seals would end up last and Sammy had their draft pick. He wanted to make sure it was the number one overall. They, he denied afterwards if there was any that was the case why he sent him there. But certainly, in, in fact, it, it, it helped the Kings to finish better at the end of the season. And uh, the Canadians end up with Gila Fleur. What a, 
what a bonus. And they just won the Stanley Cup too a, a few weeks before. Yeah, uh, Jean Belleville, uh last run, and that was the year they upset yeah. the Boston Bruins with Ken Dryden in the opening round. Bruce Dobigan joins us right now. Bruce, 1979, uh, a huge draft for the Oilers, but also an interesting draft in terms of the age groups that were in the draft. Yeah, I mean, I don't have to tell Edmonton fans about what Talkington did and how, how you know, again, we're talking about unicorn situations, getting Gretz under the personal services contract, making a condition of the Oilers coming into the NHL that Gretz stayed with the team, he wouldn't be drafted. Uh, but the other problem that people don't realize is that by accepting Gretzky into the league, the NHL then had to accept 18-year-olds. As you remember, up until then, it was you had to be, uh, you had to be 20 years old to be drafted. So you had this... Uh, this draft was an enormous draft class of guys who were, who were eligible who would have been drafted in previous years, but of course they were under 20. And that's how Messier gets to the Oilers. Uh, Glenn Anderson gets to the Oilers. Uh, Kevin Lowe comes to the Oilers. They all come in that same little uh, burst. Here's what we do at the end of every chapter, by the way. We redraft the first round or the top of the first round. And here's, here's how that draft would have ended up if it had been redrafted today. Ray Bork, number one. Mess, number two. Michelle Goulet, number three. Uh, Glenn Anderson, four. Mike Gartner, five. Uh, Guy Carboneau, six. Dale Hunter, seven. Brian Propp, eight. Mads Maslin, nine. And Neil Broughton, ten. I'd, I'd say that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good talent hall, and it was the product, of course, of the NHL having to squeeze two or three years of eligibility into that one year. They had 17 players play north of a thousand games. You did not have Kevin Lowe in the top ten, and he got into the Hockey Hall of Fame. So. I, I, I was, I was, well, again, this is when you cooperate with somebody. My son, who is a Montreal Canadiens fan, uh, he held out that uh, that we should put uh, we should put Broughton in that list. Uh, I gave him, I gave him a few calls here and there, so I couldn't be said to have dominated everything. That's blast. That's blast. Uh, Bruce Dobigan joining us uh, in exact science about the NHL draft 1984. Significant because of what happened, so teams could get a guy named Mario. Yeah, first first time a number one overall draft pick basically negotiated with the team that was going to draft him in advance and, and and made it quite clear that he would not go to Pittsburgh unless they showed a couple of things. First of all, the money, and second of all, that they were willing to win to do the things that they needed to win. And uh, Mario had been around for a long time. I, I still... I still wonder what would have happened if he'd had his health and comparing him and Gretz at the end of their careers. But in any event, uh, he was out there for a long time. But if you remember that draft year, of course, he refused to put on the Penguins jersey. Uh, he participated a little bit in the ceremony, etc. But he certainly played hardball with the, with the Penguins. And, and that's one of the reasons it's a bit of a unicorn draft. And, of course, the Penguins at that time were really on the verge of moving. Uh, they were not a popular or successful franchise. Mario going there made all the difference in the world. All right, uh, on to the 1989 draft, and there's a connection there for the current general manager of the Edmonton Oilers. Well, yeah, I mean, he was part of that uh, that organization of the Detroit Red Wings, and the, the Red Wings, uh, they were bought in 83 by, by the, the Illich family. Jimmy DeVolano tried hard to, to upgrade the talent level. He had Steve Eisenman, but it wasn't until the end of the 80s that they, they decided to go all in on European talent and specifically take the risk on Russian players because Russians have been drafted before they've never shown up. Uh, and the irony of that draft for people again, who weren't around for it is that all of these talented players that, 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 uh, that Kenny Holland and the scouting department came up with all of the top guys were not in the first or second round. The first round I think was Dallas Drake and uh, no, Mike, uh, uh, Mike Sillinger and, and, yep. and Bugner was in the second round. And then of course you get lid 
Nordstrom, who they all of a sudden sneak under the, they used the technicality to get him. Then you've got Fedorov, you've got Konstantinov, who was in there. And they were prepared to take Pavel Burry as well in that draft, but they couldn't establish that he had played enough games to, to qualify. So what the Red Wings did was they announced to the NHL that Russian players would come over, they would play, and most crucially, as we saw later, that they could win. That was also the knock on them. They just came over for the money. They didn't care. Uh, the Red Wings got them over, and they, they had the best players, and they were the key to that team winning. We're joined by Bruce Dobig in, in exact science. And, yeah, four guys played north of 1,000 games in the NHL, drafted yeah. by Detroit that year. Drake, Sillinger, uh uh, Fedorov and Lidstrom played 1,564. <laughs> I, I can't believe you didn't do the 1990 draft year where Edmonton didn't have a guy play one game in the NHL off, off of their draft class after winning the Stanley <laughs> Cup that year, which is, uh, and this show is called Oilers now, but that's a year that uh, Glenn Sader and Barry Fraser would like to have back. 1991, um, I did the 91 Canada Cup in uh, pre, uh, the pre-tournament games in Saskatoon as a 25-year-old broadcaster. Eric Lindros was an absolute... Nobody at 18 should have that type of frame. Uh, and that 91 draft was also significant for a bit of a storyline for maybe what didn't happen in that year for Lindros, but also uh, in terms of the Quebec Nordiques organization and then the double yeah. dealing that took place, Bruce. Yeah, that uh, I mean, a whole lot of things went on, and I was working at the time. I was the CBC sportscaster in Toronto for CBC there and followed this story very closely because, of course, Lindros was from Toronto, and it was a local story. And, of course, he decided he didn't want to play in Quebec City. And, and he, he and his family were right not to go there. Uh, uh, Marcel Obu and, and the people who were running it, it was, it was a clown show. And they really felt like he needed to go, Eric needed to go to a place where he could be a successful player and he could also sort of his success would help build the franchise. And that's, of course, what happened eventually in Philadelphia. But when they got to the draft, he, of course, he refused to participate, spent that year playing for the Canadian Olympic team, uh, the national team, rather. He played some junior hockey in, 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 uh, in Michigan, etc. cetera. Uh, comes around to the next year, the 91 draft, of course, and uh, he's still refusing to go to Quebec. They make the deal. But typical of Marcel Lobu, he makes a deal with two teams, the Rangers and Philly. And we have, the NHL has to bring in an arbitrator, Larry Bertuzzi, to decide what team he goes to. But in the end, it, it was a bonus for both teams because uh, Eric Lindros literally helped the Flyers build their new arena. He was the reason that they were able to get the financing together. He made the team good enough. On the other hand, and you alluded to it, the Quebec Nordiques, that's an enormous hall of talent. Unbelievable. Their team. Oh, just an unbelievable uh, hall of talent. And while they never won in Quebec City, that was the core of the Colorado Avalanche team that became one of the dominant teams of the late 90s. Well, Lindros, for me, was the best player in the league from 92 until about 97, 98. But you can make an argument Forsberg might have been the best player in the league from the late 90s oh, yeah. into the early 2000s. So it was a heck of a deal. 2005, uh, Sid the Kid draft year, uh, coming out of uh, uh, the shutdown for the entire year. and. Yep. I, I remember Kevin the smirk on Kevin Lowe's face when Calgary got the 26th pick and Edmonton ended up getting the 25th pick next because that was here. It was all dra dra uh, slotted out of cards or so something, wasn't it? There were no standings that year. There was no standings to go on. Uh, they went by previous, I think the previous three years of drafting, uh, teams were so, sort of seeded based on, on on what happened. But Pittsburgh, of course, hit the jackpot again, as they had with Mario. They hit the jackpot with, with Sid the Kid. Uh, and it was, a, again, a, a bit of a unicorn draft held in a hotel, no fans. Uh, it was not the, the event that it is today. Uh, and, and, and there's no reason, rhyme, no reason that Pittsburgh should have got him or not got him, uh, but they did. And, of course, they made the most of it. 
and he's been the core, not not just the core of their team, but one of obviously one of the top five players in the league since then, and maybe one of the top ten players ever. Uh, just a really interesting draft. Anaheim, of course, uh, taking Ryan in the second position. He just never came close to being that kind of guy. Uh, Brian Burke moaning and groaning the whole way about the process and how he basically, you know, he, he was absolutely crazy about getting Sid down to, to Anaheim. Didn't work out for him. Uh, it, just a really interesting draft and a really interesting process to get the NHL back. The fans were very cynical, very jaded after the year off. They didn't feel it was worth it. Uh, and, and so they really needed a good production. And Sid, uh, he was everything he was advertised to be. Uh, one, we got time for one final point here. So those are the six years. What about 2015? And are, are you going to write a, a second book down the road here based on what Connor does? Well, well, you know the way these things work uh, is that if the publisher pays me, I will write another book. <laughs> I don't mess around. If you're paying me, I'm going I'm to write another book. But, yes, he'd be, he'd be the next sort of albatross or a sort of uh, unicorn, unicorn guy. Yeah. The, the, only, the only thing about him and his selection is it's all pretty conventional in the sense that the Oilers, you know, finished down at the bottom and they earned the right to draft him. There was no surprise. He didn't pull any stunts. He didn't try to leverage his way out. He's been loyal to Edmonton, etc. And as good a player as he's been, I don't know that there's something in that draft that tells us about what makes a successful team going forward. Not yet, anyhow, in Edmonton. Uh, and, and the last chapter of the book is a summary of the things we've learned in the, probably in the last 15 years about how you build a team in the modern economy, in the modern NHL. Uh, and certainly, you know, if the Orleans finally find the formula uh, in the next couple of years, there'll be a good chapter to write on that. Well, they got a better team this year than they've had the last two years when they finished 12th and 11th. They're way deeper. And I'll be intrigued to see what happens at Edmonton vis-a-vis Toronto as well. Bruce, how do people, is the book out? Uh, where can people get the book at? Books on sale. You get it online at Indigo. You get it online at, uh, online at, at Amazon, all of those places. Uh, your local bookstores, Indigo is carrying it, and chapters are, ch- are carrying it in the stores. Uh, and if you can, if you have a local bookstore that you'll like to favor, somebody in your area that has a bookstore and you want to keep them going, uh, get them to, to order in the book for you. So it, it's uh, there we 23, have. what is it? Uh, 23.95. There you go, 23.95. 20, okay, in exact science, the six most compelling draft years in NHL history, Evan and Bruce Dobig, and we just had Bruce on the show, and an awesome picture of Guy Lafleur with a helmet on with Ron Ellis in the background without one. I'm trying to think of who the other player is in the background there. Mark Tardif. Oh, there you go. Keep him away from Rick Giazio. Uh, (laughs) There we go. Bruce, great stuff. Hey, we'll do this again, okay? Okay, man, anytime. You bet. That is Bruce Dobigan joining us here on Oilers Now. And that wraps up our, uh, what day is it today? Tuesday edition of Oilers Now. But we got a little bit of business to take care of. This day in Oilers history brought to you by New West Travel. Join Oilers now in Seattle. You'll see the Oilers in the crack and the Seahawks and the 49ers. Call New West Travel or visit newwesttravel.com. I was actually communicating with somebody about this game today. He took the time to reach out. What happened back in the state, Cody Jansen, in 1984? Wayne Gretzky picked up four assists in the second period as the Oilers beat the LA Kings 8-2. to The four assists in one period were just one short of the NHL record held by Dale Howarchuk. Uh, well, uh, you know what? It, it's interesting. Uh, the Oilers ended up going 12-0-3 in the first 15 games that year. And a great player told me today that uh, Yari Curry in the 15th game against New Jersey tied it in like the final minute or two in a one-timer and a setup from a guy by the name of Wayne from the Edmonton operation. All right. 
Reed Wilkins is coming up with uh, Inside Sports. Is it, have they reached out? Is it a fluid show? Do you know what they got going on today? Seems like a pretty fluid show, but I would have to assume there's a lot of Nick Arbuckle talk after the trade. Here we go. The uh, Edmonton Elks getting themselves a new quarterback tomorrow on Oilers now. From the NHL Network, former GM of the Tampa Bay Lightning, the man that started Octagon's player agency, Brian Lawton. We will also hook up with David Staples from the Cult of Hockey and John Shannon, our NHL insider, and we're working on one other uh, guest as well. Up next, a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell, followed by Rob Breckenridge from 2 to 3 today, and then 6.30 Chet Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Have a terrific Tuesday, everybody. So long from Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.